283 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, I think this might be the longest hiatus of sorts we've had since we started the podcast. We're prone to two weeks in the off-season at some point. Maybe we have gone three weeks before. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's, I believe it's 20 days since our last episode, which would make it three weeks since the book season finished. Yeah, yeah. Finished on a like Monday, right? Memorial, so, Memorial Day. So, in the time since, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. Um, the Toronto Raptors, those Raptors who we last had to talk about with begrudging respect, now the NBA champions. Um, the Warriors, maybe no more. Kevin well, Durant, Clay <laughs> Thompson, likely to miss very close, if not all, of next season. And both will have question marks over how they come back because of. What's maybe just the most unfortunate spell of injuries in consecutive games in any sport ever. Um, so talk about turning the NBA upside down. That will certainly do it. And then Anthony Davis is now Los Angeles Laker. These are all big, important things that are all tangentially related I think you're, to the book. I think you're forgetting the biggest piece of news that we've that's happened. Uh, see, I had lined up jokes for this intro, and I said, I'm not. I'm going to leave it. I'll just play it straight. But what have you got, Jordan? Marvin Williams exercised his player option for the 1920 season. Uh, Kevin O'Connor um, had a great tweet about the Hornets the other day. I don't know if you saw this, but I didn't realize oh, that, just how it... bad their situation is, that if Kemba <sighs> re-signs on a minimum deal, they will still be over the cap. Good God. Anyway, (laughs) we have a lot to get through over a series of podcasts, which shall start now. And we're not going to waste it by talking about the Charlotte Hornets or about those other bigger NBA things that actually are... Or the former Charlotte Hornets, the New Orleans Pelicans. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, All that stuff is somewhat, not the Pelicans, but the other stuff, Anthony Davis, the Raptors, the Warriors... Relevant to the books and what the books might be next season. So we will talk about that down the line. But for the moment, there's more pressing business to attend to. The NBA draft is almost here. And we are here for another year of draft talk. We have been writing on site basically 
since probably the day after the book season ended and um, doing our usual variety of draft profiles so hopefully you've been following along there and getting a sense of it and all of that is ramping up over behind the pass at mine jordan's writing and the rest of our team dan larson scott from portal in particular um but another part of this tradition is that we usually do podcasts and we usually do podcasts kind of position by position or we have evolved along with the nba in years since where we no longer go by such archaic categorizations of players um so we have our own kind of working of it which we are going to explore across the course of four podcasts you're listening to this one on monday there will also be another on tuesday guess what one after that on wednesday and the last one will come out thursday morning for the draft which then late 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 thursday night friday morning if you have any sense you will be able to listen to myself and jordan and most likely dan larson as well however at this point it's a tradition um emergency draft podcast where it's very late at night we get very angry or very happy and we laugh about the events of the night so all that is to come on this occasion we're going to talk about guards tuesday wings wednesday forwards thursday my personal favorite the big man (laughs) before we jump into all that though let's do some general books draft housekeeping this whole process has been very different. It's been very different from us from the perspective of how we cover it, the way we cover it compared to how we've done in previous years. And um, largely because the book season went on for what a month, five weeks longer than usual. And that's normally a time where our attention would have long focused to our attention would have long shifted to the draft. Um, I'll be honest right from the off. In my case, I don't think I know as much about this draft as previous years. But, and I'm curious to see your thoughts on this, I think it's also tied to the even more uncharacteristic position the books find themselves in, which is picking 30 at overall, where, I mean, there's a lot less certainty than you can ever have, even at, say, somewhere like 17, because who knows once you get into the 20s, who could fall, who could rise, just what players are going to have kind of unreported strange agreements with other teams to turn the whole thing on its head and the books this year are going to come in at a point where it is almost impossible to project i i have multiple prospects i like honestly not a whole lot that i really strongly dislike i think all of that is because there's so much wait and see on this that until the 29th pick has been either phoned in or reported by Woj. We're all going to kind of be left there going, oh, they could do one of any number of like 20 different things here. And that to me just makes it very different along with the type of players, I guess you find at the end of the first round at this kind of juncture. And when it's your only pick, we're not looking to second round picks. Um, Very unlikely that they would manage to get their hands on one of those either. So this is it. It's all very different, right? I'm not alone in feeling that way. No, I don't think it's just tied to the Bucks, though. I think it's kind of just a weird draft. I mean, the lottery was kind of – it was obviously crazy. <laughs> Literally, the team that traded one of the, you know, biggest superstars in the league uh, got the first pick. And no one on this crazy, dismal – not dismal, but, like, small chance of happening. 
I just think it's kind of it kind of fits this whole like draft season because there is like a lot of like big wild cards and we just saw the number fourth or the fourth overall pick get traded as part of that Davis deal and I don't think like every year we go we always hear like oh there there could be a lot of a lot of uh, uh, action on draft night this year feels different in that I actually kind of think that it's going to happen because there's so many different the way that the draft board shook out is very obviously was, you know, more movement than anybody anticipated ever. <laughs> um, and I think there are a lot of different interesting teams that can parlay up. I know like the Hawks have been talked about a lot, but like even the Celtics have like three first round picks or something like that, or three or two, something like that. Um, there's just a lot of Spurs like Spurs have two as well. Even Spurs like, have two as part of the quad deal. Teams further down, kind of in the draft, like the Spurs, or the Spurs could move up, or they might just be able to. Again, in the kind of general just morass of oh, there's all this bunch of guys. Some teams would like them, some may not. I think the Spurs pick 17th and 29th, or something very close to that. Something like that, yeah. And there's a chance that there could be two guys you like at 17, and you're torn between them. And then the second guy could still be available for your 29. That very much feels like the way this class is, which I agree. I think there's going to be a lot of deals, but I'm not entirely sure what the motivation behind so much of it would be. I think in some years you get teams looking to move up because they really want that guy. You know, that guy might be might be 21st, but we think he can really be something. I don't know. Yeah to what extent that's going to be the case with this draft class. I mean, the consensus is that it falls off a pretty severe cliff very, very quickly in terms of the players that are there. Although I do think there's, there's potential for this to be a surprisingly strong role player class. You know, when you look back on previous drafts and there's a year that eventually you go, Oh, everyone said that was really weak at the time. And then you look at it and you're like, Hmm about 20 of these guys are still in the NBA and kind of good for what their roles are. Maybe there's a chance of that happening again. Whether that will move the needle for trades is a different story, but maybe that in itself, you know, this idea of, well, we're not entirely crazy here. Let's see if we can flip this pick for a player who can help us now. Let's see if we can move it for a future asset. I think there is real potential for this to kind of snowball. And also you may well have other teams who are like, here, take this player with our pick because we want to clear cap space to try and do some things in free agency. So, yeah, there's a lot of potential for things to get pretty wild and weird. Not for the Bucks is my feeling. Are you inclined to agree? I think this is going to be very, very straightforward. I think the Bucks are going to pick at number 30. Um, we'll all simultaneously like and dislike the player and talk about it as if it's really important for a week or so until like <laughs> some real franchise defining decisions and um, questions open up once free agency uh, begins. But I think this is going to be pretty straightforward and they're just going to make their pick and that's who they'll have on their roster next year. Are you seeing that? Or are you expecting any kind of, any kind of unexpected books fun? Slash anguish. Well, obviously, do they keep the pick? I I think so. I would tend to think they do too. But that is a possibility. We don't know. 
I think the thing with that, and this is an important conversation for us to have, I think, at this point before we get into all the prospects is, mm-hmm. okay, what is what is the pick going to mean for the books? What Realistically, what is the player going to mean? It's 38 overall pick. They could hit the jackpot, get really lucky, and get a player who could help right away or help next year or whatever. But realistically, that's going to be helping in a in a modest role-playing fashion, right? I mean, if you find, for example, Jimmy Butler, who's probably, what, the greatest 30 overall pick, I haven't looked at them all, but he'd be right in the mix. I mean, that's a game-changer. Chances are it's not going to happen. So you're looking at kind of what's the value of the pick. Tied to the value of the pick, though, is what is the value of the 30 overall pick in this draft to another team? And if the books were to move it, first of all, they'd have to make a pick for another team because they're not allowed to technically trade this pick. They can trade the player they select with it. Um, but, for example, the books might like, in fact, we pretty much know they would like, it's been reported by multiple people over the course of a year, to get off Tony Snell's contract. That would be helpful before you commit a whole lot more money in free agency. Is the 30th overall pick in this draft enough to persuade a team to take on what's it like 10.5 million this year, 12 million next year? I would say no. And if you look around the NBA at what the recent prices have been for taking on bad contracts, I think particularly because this is being viewed as a free agency class where there were players to get. Now, maybe the injuries for KD and Clay play into that and teams will start to realign and look for different things forward and be willing to take on, oh, let's take an asset for that. But the price has gone up on just here, we'll take your bad contract. Do you think a 38 overall pick could do that? Maybe it could with Urson, whose contract isn't as bad. It might just be one year. Should the books be that desperate to get out of a useful player for that might be your starting center next year if you don't retain Brick Lopez? Oh, I hadn't considered that. Even but let's say even if you do, even if you do um retain Brook Lopez, the area where the book's depth is at its thinnest is forwards. Let alone getting into center discussion, it's forwards. If if they did trade Ursan, Miritich is gone. You're gonna have Giannis, yeah. and then you've got DJ. And DJ may well need to play a lot of center again in some of those scenarios. So that's true. So I, I don't think it's worth it with Ursan. I'll leave you either. to weigh in on that, but I don't think it's enough to get off of Snell's deal either. And if you can't do either of those things, I mean, they're not looking to take on more salary before they deal with um, the challenges they're facing. It, that's also very difficult because they finished the season as a tax-paying team. Right? They didn't get below again. They just went over the tax, right? I don't know. I, I'm it's all a blur. Sure. I, I, I honestly think they just went over it because we had those little before. those little bonuses that Tony Snell got. Maybe may I think that's over. I think that's what did it. I think that is what did it. But yeah, I I don't see what they gain unless they were to just trade this for a future pick, and if you don't like anyone at all here and you feel like that's a better strategy, fine. 
but you're not going to have an easy route to adding more salary or to adding a project down the line either. No, and you might just need, particularly it's the 38 overall pick, so you're not paying like $3 million even to, to this player. I think it's something like 1.6, something like that. Um, That's kind of valuable. In it kind of wouldn't be surprising though. You can control. It wouldn't be surprising though to see them drop out of the first round entirely because of that. Because say if there's not one player, or maybe they're confident that the player that they have higher on draft boards than you know what we're seeing around that range, they think they can drop back a little, save a little money. But they they'd have to sign a second round pick into cap space, which would eat into what they could do with. That's Brooke. true. That's very true. So they really can't afford to do that either. Nor do they have the motivation to to look for a second round pick. I mean, they might like a player, the player they might like most that's going to be somewhere in their range. They may feel confident they're available at 40 and it could still be worth their while Mm. to pick him at 30 and not have to deal with the the differences cap uh, cap mechanics wise. That doesn't sound like English, but um, between a first round pick and a second round pick. And what's built into the CBA with that? So, because the the cap space and it's really the timing and how they organize all of this stuff and the the days and then weeks ahead into free agency is crucial for bring back Brook because they don't have his bird rights. They need to sign him first, and what they have under the cap is what they're going to be able to do with that. So, yeah, I I just think all of those factors to me tie them into making this pick. Um, and also kind of make it important because, as we mentioned, like picks are going to be at more of a premium for them moving forward for a variety of different transactions at this point. And so it would help <clears throat> to get this one right, where you just get some sort of useful player that you could develop for a few years and give you something, even if they're not going to be around on a second deal. And it's important to note that, say, if they don't make a draft night trade, that doesn't mean that they can't get out of paying the or well paying a lesser tax bill over the course of the season because tax stuff doesn't be doesn't get paid until the end of the the not calendar year but the season. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's one important note. Yeah, and there are other considerations to that too. And I mean like this is if you were trying to get off contracts. Turning it overall pick might not be enough. Um even if it's later in the year and you're looking to do some stuff Maybe you've got to get off a young player. Maybe you've got to use that to do whatever, whether it's to increase your flexibility or to pick up another asset to pursue something different, whether that's Dante, DJ, Sterling, whatever that might be. Whoever the 38 overall pick could be, they could be things that are considered or become um, necessary to consider down the line. But to me right now, I think I think they likely make this pick. I think it's... I find it difficult to see the ways where the situation is going to present where it makes sense for them financially, from a team-building perspective, all of those things, to not use this pick on this occasion. So, with that in mind, Jordan, let's start talking about some of the candidates for the 38 overall pick. Um, As I mentioned, we are starting with guard prospects. Um, We're going to talk about five players in particular. It's a stretch to get five guards that could be in the books range. And even I think there's some creative 
I'll get to it later. There's one player who, I mean, you could literally name any position and I'd be like, yeah, okay. And we've put him as a guard for this exercise. Um, there are a couple of players who we probably won't mention who are like widely mocked for a late second round. I don't know. I think the best place to start before we just go straight into individual prospects is this is a really weak class for guards. Um, it's a weak point guard class. You've got three guys in the top five-ish, and then basically there's not really another point guard until you get right towards the end of the first round, second round, than what most people seem to be mocking. So there's not a lot of depth at a point guard. Um, when I say we're going to talk about guards, it's not it's not just purely point guards. It's really point guards and combo guards. Combo guards yeah. So it's shooting guards who can handle a little bit, can shoot a little bit. And honestly, that is that is more of what we're going to be dealing with here than point guards. I think even even the player... Um, I think there's two guys you could call a point guard in some way, but really so much of their skill falls more in line with what you look for from a shooting guard that it's mostly combo guards we're going to talk about here. But this is a... This is probably the weakest position, the weakest role you could be looking for in this class. And that might be a little bit unfortunate for the books, considering George Hill may not come back. Um, who knows what happens at Brogdon? They have control of that, but who knows until we see all of that get done. And they may well need some guard depth going into next season. To me, it's not all that promising, though, if they were to look for that route. Let's start by going through the players and we'll... We'll shape our overall toss on it as we go. Um, first up, a player that you pros- you profiled on Behind the Book Pass very recently, Carson Edwards. Um, Carson Edwards out of Purdue is, I think, a great example of what I was just alluding to in that I think he's a point guard by default because of his height, but his game is not traditional pass-first point guard in any way. In fact, he is, you know, shoot-first um, I wrote about this in a piece that went up on site today looking at these very same guards if you want to kind of dive in in more detail you could go there and you'll also find links to our full profiles on all but one of these players but I read quite a lot about Carson Edwards and I don't know if there's any one thing I read that didn't bring up Lou Williams <laughs> yep yep that was uh, one <laughs> Like, literally, you could read anything and you're going to get to Lou Williams. Yep. Which is great, right? And if you're, particularly, you're, right, you're in the book shoes, you got the 38 overall pick, and you're like, oh, imagine if we could get Lou Williams with the 38 overall pick. That would be very useful, you know? That might be something I'd be interested in. The problem is, Lou Williams is a very, very rare type of player, and those kind of really small guards who are just innately gifted scorers who it's super smart super smart but it's it's also like when you look at lou williams career trajectory and obviously he's he is the ultimate six man um him and jamal crawford are you know the sixth man (laughs) i feel like there should be there should be a renaming of the award there should maybe be I don't know. Is there, I'm assuming there is a trophy the six man gets. What, what does it look like? Because it should probably look like Jabal Crawford and Lou Williams at this point. But 
you just can't find guys like that all that easy. It's easy to say, oh, this guy, you know, he's not the best defender. He's undersized. Um, he's got a taste for the big moment. He can make tough shots. Bring him off the bench. Sixth man, boom. You've got a Lou Williams type. But to me, of all of the kind of different archetypes are easy ways you might look to pigeonhole or categorize a player around draft time. That to me is one of the most troubling because I think I think there's a massive disconnect between being able to say, oh, this guy could be a sixth man and that player actually becoming that. In part because it's a really specific role. And if that's your base, I'm not sure what it means. Edwards is a popular pro- prospect among a lot of books fans, I think. I've seen quite a lot of them and I've seen a lot of writing about him. And the books themselves may well be proven to like him. I'm not sure. I'm not sure when, even at this spot in the draft, if we're talking about a player who instantly it's like, this guy could be great coming off the bench long term. It's not like even, oh, this is a good spot starter. Or To me, he's just a tough fit. And it's very difficult for a player like that to survive in the modern NBA. And to do so, <laughs> again, you might literally have to be Lou Williams, which is really, really rare. Yeah. And that even then, that's kind of all the talk about Edwards is like, oh yeah, he can obviously shoot it and shoot it pretty well. He had a very like high volume role at Purdue, but uh, he's not like a passer. He's not like a facilitator. And if you're comparing him to Lou Williams, that's kind of a big, mm-hmm. <laughs> big thing a part of, of Lou Williams' game. Um, yeah, I I know I read something in that same or I probably linked to it in uh, my profile from everything to believing together. So I'm just trying to remember everything, <laughs> but I know he said something like talking about like, you know, seeing Fred Van Vliet, Fred Van Vliet's impact in the playoffs. And sure. We definitely know what, uh, we what know all about books. Mr. Van Vliet. Yep. Post dad surge. Anyway. Which, um, uh, no, I shouldn't read. Really. This is not the time for me to just get a sidetracked. But Chris Middleton also had a post that surge. He just didn't want to make any fuss about it at the time, you know. True. He just he went about have, killing the Boston Celtics. Maybe we'd no one said champions. anything. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's I'm not going to sidetrack anymore. We've got a lot to get through. Yep. Anyway, um, that could be more the archetype that you kind of see. I don't know. I think I share your same reservations about Edwards, where you could see him sticking for a long time because scoring. Scoring is going to be if you can hit shots, if you can hit threes, if you can do what he does uh, and have that translate to the next level, that's you're going to be in the league for a while. I'm just not sure if I I don't know if he's really a Bucks pick, to be honest, just because he's kind of one dimensional. You know what I mean? Like, do they really need the kind of, you know, spark plug scoring type guy when they kind of have this well-balanced scoring, and they kind of have a guy, a guy that may, if all goes correctly, this is not saying he will do this, but you kind of have a guy like Dante DiVincenzo who kind of overlaps in those areas. I, I think that, I, like, I'm not Dante's biggest fan. I think that's very unfair. Very clear. <laughs> I think that's very unfair to Dante. Very unfair to Dante. Um Dante is a more efficient player. He's a smarter player. I think he finds more ways to impact the game. He's a better passer. Um, Edwards doesn't even have a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, right? He turns it over more than he assists, which is just disastrous. 
to me, with a guard of that size, it's just the turnover ratio is often a great indicator for feel. Obviously, yeah. it says a lot about you know character, unselfishness, kind of team, team first kind of mindset. But it also says something about feel for the game, and there's a lot here that screams kind of possibly one track mind where. You know, maybe he does pave out a really good career for himself, but I would kind of foresee that career as being a good player, one of the better players on bad teams. I don't know how you make Edwards fit within a larger system that works. Yeah. Because and like, he's, he's too small for some yeah, that's the other thing. He's, he's really small he's too small defensively, then he's kind of a black hole offensively. You know, if he's making all his tough shots, great. If he's not, your offense is going to go through the floor when he's on, on the court. And secondly, when you talk about a player like that, he's just not going to be able to do those things in the NBA. He's not going to be handed even a second unit and be like, oh, rookie, go and, you know, take all your shots, take difficult shots, make them and go from there. And I think that will be tough for him to actually find his footing, even if he does have the skills to stick in the NBA. I I don't know what his introduction to a rotation would look like because I'm not sure he can do the things he'd need to do to earn minutes. Again, maybe on a bad team, that doesn't actually matter. And that could be his way to, oh, I just chuck up shots, make enough of them and you know get some nice deals from teams that aren't really paying attention. That certainly doesn't mesh with the Bucks picking him at 30, though. No. No. Any other thoughts on Carson Edwards? Not really. Do you think? Do you think he's? <laughs> do you think he's a first rounder? If you were, if you were doing a mock right now, would he be in your first round? If I was doing a mock, uh, <laughs> mock five, no. Um, mm, I don't. Think so. I don't think so, and I don't I even think, think it's be like just down to first... personal preference. I think somewhere thirty-three to thirty-five. Yeah. Okay, move it on. One of the better names, not just in this year's class, but in recent draft history, Lugans Dort. Um, I hate to say it, but I feel like the name might be better than the player. <laughs> It's a great name. <laughs> it, it is really, it's really spectacular. Um, even shortened, Lou Dort is. I mean, Lou Dort is even better. Lou Dort is a movie star. <laughs> Lou Dort. Well, another Lou coming up, and it's that's. I just like the name Lou. <laughs> that's, I, that's I, I like it more. Lu though, there's something even you know. Yeah. You're really you're out on your own with that. Um, Lou Dort to me is another kind of. Again, so much of what he is should be a point guard, and yet he's kind of the other way where you've got to look at him as a shooting guard. There's just there's just something missing on both regards, though, that I can't see which guard spot you'd actually fit him in at. And at that point, it just makes him be like, what is this guy? Is he an NBA player? Um, I mean, the real positives here are physically he looks ready to play with pros, um, and that's that might be an understatement. 
Yeah, I mean he's <laughs> built like a he's built incredibly house. well. He's got a six eight wingspan. He's six four. You don't have to worry about the things we were just talking about with Carson Edwards. Yeah. He also seems to have a really great work ethic, great attitude, high character guy who's going to apply himself. Um, I just, I'm just not sure about his game. I mean, those things are great, and those things might mean that you get him in the right situation and with the right coaching staff, and all of a sudden he becomes a player that's somewhat difficult to foresee right now. But personally, I'm just struggling to see what there is here beyond great physical attributes and mental attributes. That's a lot. That's good. I mean, that's a good base. But I don't have one skill that comes to the forefront of my mind when I start to talk about Lou Dort. I think that's a problem. Uh, The best that you would say is defensively. And obviously that, you know, kind of blends into what we already talked about with him, with his athleticism, physical tools, obviously kind of just, you know, his intelligence and all that stuff, intangibles. But I think a lot – I mean, it's kind of similar to Edwards in that, I mean, this will not be the first time we talk about this, nor will it be the last because a lot of it, when you're in this range of the draft, you're trying to – what does role translation look like for a lot of these guys? And that's why they kind of – I mean, that's not why – this isn't specific to this draft, but it's – specific to the range that the Bucks are in. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of picking what you think you can mold into a guy that can be a productive uh contributor. And that might not be right away the you know may, who what you know who knows. But uh, yeah, I mean Dort is kind of similar that played had a very uh high usage role like I think it's like almost like 20% with Arizona State. But a lot of it is like him looking like John Wall, Russell Westbrook, just kind of driving through the lane. And you're kind of have to have to like peg him into this kind of shoot three and D specialist. And the biggest question about him is, can he hit threes? And if you well, look at his release, like he can't numbers. Seems wise. like he can't. And if you look at his release, like nothing can fly or not fly, but like, it's so high in terms of like his shot. It's, kind of weird looking (laughs) i think it's interesting to bring up russell westbrook and russell westbrook is clearly in another world entirely to what lou dort could ever end up being but if you look at the way westbrook's westbrook's stock and his influence positive influence on nba games has tailed off just over the last few years i think it says a lot about just you know physicality not being enough for a guard in the nba anymore you need to be more versatile than that. You need to be more skilled. And there needs to be just some more subtleties to your game. And Westbrook at his best is more than capable of that. But you see him at his worst, you're like, wow, this guy is just sinking an entire team here. Yep. <laughs> and that's with the level of ability and the level of athleticism and the level of strength he has. Like, for as well as Lou Dort is built, he's not Russell Westbrook. No. And he may never become Russell Westbrook in terms of build even. So what does that translate to? Like uh, to me, if, if you were to say, Oh, you know, much lesser version of Russell Westbrook, is that an NBA player? It's like, no, I mean, Russell Westbrook is only an NBA player because he is kind of the most extreme peak levels of the various elements he brings together. If even any one of those is off, 
it can all just kind of crumble catastrophically. And again, Russell Westbrook, for example, if we talk about him, okay, so what does his bad game, like so much is being talked about as triple doubles. Um, triple doubles can be empty, but the ability, for example, to be able to dish out 10 assists on a nightly basis, pretty significant, says a lot about your vision, says a lot about your awareness. And that sort of thing is not there with Lou Dort, where you're like, okay, well, if his shot isn't working, what is he going to do? I I don't know what he is offensively or how he can influence an NBA game in a positive fashion offensively. And I think that is very tough of that position. It makes you the ultimate specialist. You know, you can get away with that as a wing. I think there are players we get to... I think there might even be a player that you quite like um, that I'm kind of like, yeah, this guy is literally just a defender. But I think you can get you can get away with that on the wing. You're going to come up against enough guys and your role on offense may be limited enough a lot of the time where if you just get yourself to the right spots... That's fine. You're not going to necessarily kill the team. I don't think he can get away with that. A point guard, a shooting guard, and like, which would you even put Dorda for any period of time? He's not a shooting guard. You can't. You can't have shooting guards who just can't really shoot all that well in today's NBA. And I don't see him being an NBA shooter. No, and I think the the point about like athleticism too is that you can. You're gonna if you have what. Lou Dort, I have to say Lou Dort. If you if you have what he has like athletically and just in terms of his physical gifts and all that stuff, you're gonna overwhelm like the college game when you're kind of on the level of like freakish athletes in the NBA. You can s- still do those things, but you're going up against you know equal competition or even more athletic players. So that's what makes him even more challenging in terms of where do you play him? What does he defend? Does he defend point guards? He's not. He's quick, but he's not like it's just there's just a lot going on that you have to kind of mold him around. And it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising to see him succeed at some point, but I don't think it's gonna be a instant uh translation in that way. I struggle I don't like this. I don't this is the part of this I don't like. Um, particularly because we are not, we are giving, we are NBA people giving opinions on draft prospects. We are not draft experts. Um, these are players that we will know a lot more about next season than we do now. Um, just because of the way our basketball watching diets work. I don't like ruling prospects out, but I do struggle to see what Dort is becomes to really kind of stick around and, become an NBA player. It's it's not really all that apparent to me right now. Yeah. Maybe he's a guy who could spend some time in the G League and his physical tools could really give him kind of a leg up there where he makes a bit of noise and he comes in and gets a shot. And then, you know, it, to me, he's very much a two-way contract kind of guy where you'd be like, okay, let's work with him. Let's work with his tools. There's a base of something really strong here in terms of the way he's going to apply himself the way his body currently is. We don't have to worry about that right away. Let's work on his skills. Let's take it a year where it's it's almost the equivalent of what a red shirt year would be like in college. And let's see what he can be next year. There could be something to that approach, but I don't know otherwise. I think it's a difficult one. Um, let's keep it moving along. I'll make no secret about it right off the bat. We've moved to the guard prospect that I actually do like. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm not. I 
there's not a lot of prospects in this class that I really dislike. Uh, maybe part of that is I just don't feel so strongly about anyone to get to that level. Part of that may be that it's 30th overall pick and you're dealing with a different pool of players. Um, one player that I do really like, though, is Ty Jerome. And I think part of that conversation is the fact that it looks increasingly unlikely that Ty Jerome will be around when it's the book's turn to pick a 30th. I don't think he's gone much earlier, but I do think he will be gone. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, possibly. I where, can, like, where are the Sixers? Are the Sixers 25? 24. 24. The Cavs, he's been mucked to the Cavs a lot as well. Um, Warriors, you can kind of see it, with, especially with Livingston maybe retiring. And Clay Thompson, being, Clay Thompson being out for a year. I mean, what yeah. is what is the Warriors' backcourt depth? You've got Steph and Quinn Cook. Is that <laughs> it? I'm not, I'm not forgetting someone, am I? I don't think so. Like, uh, yeah, proven college guy who's ready to play would be very useful uh, for the Warriors in that scenario. But yeah, for for those reasons, I think there's a lot and. The thing with Jerome, I think one of the things that I like most about him is I believe he is just an NBA player. Skills-wise, his build, I think the overall package is there. We are like, yeah, that's a guy who can carve out a rotation spot for himself on any of the 30 teams in 2019. <laughs> I think I think the reason why you may like him the most, and this is pretty kind of... I don't like him the most. He's not my favorite or, prospect. Or... Well, at least one of, of the guards, one of them of the guards, certainly of the guards, is that he's f- by far the most dependable and yeah. kind of yeah, he's he's not like one you know what he you know what he is yeah, I mean maybe <laughs> what he is lot. turns out to be a little bit less at the NBA level than what you'd like it to be, but you're not going to be shocked at what type of player he is, or you're not you're not going to have to figure that out. I mean, hypothetically, you could. Whether you're the worst team in the league, the best team in the league, decide on opening night. Oh, we're going to give him five minutes. This is what we're going to ask him to do, and this is how he's going to do it. Um, he is a really, really strong shooter, one of the better shooters in the class. He has exceptional vision. He is more of a two guard. He really is a combo guard. Uh, could probably, you could probably in some lineups play him as a wing. But I think he's a he's a playmaking two to me. He's obviously coming off national championship winning experience with Virginia and being a key cog in that team. Um, I do think that is particularly interesting from a books perspective. Obviously, there's the Malcolm Brogdon factor with you know player of a very similar profile in a lot of ways. Um, not, not just the school, but play type, experience, all of those things coming out of Virginia. But also, if we look at the programs the books have picked from in recent years and the kind of coaches they like their players to come from under, even since Horse has arrived, there's there's a lot there with Ty Jerome where you're like, this is becoming the kind of player who interests the books in many ways. Uh, a six, shoot. Yeah, he really he he will do all three of those. Um, he's six five, so he has got good size. He's a short wingspan, which is one of the the things that would make it a little bit difficult for him in some ways, but 
in college he's looked like a really smart defender and he is as game as as anyone you'll find in the draft so he's going to compete he's going to lock in and he's rarely going to make bad decisions i mean he is if I remember correctly, I think he's 22 and not that far off being 23. He's an older prospect. His upside is not going to be all that high. There may not be a whole lot of it. But even if it takes him a couple of years, if he could come into the NBA and be something similar to the player he was in college, that's incredibly valuable, as the books will likely find out when Malcolm Brogdon is fielding major offer sheets in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Brogdon is obviously the extreme end of that scale, but as you just alluded to the Bucks mantra, pass, dribble, shoot, um, add in defend to that mix and guys who can do all of those things as lineups are more about versatility than ever before. It's very difficult to overstate just how useful those players can be in a whole variety of ways to have in your roster. Yeah. I think you're right. I think I like just how dependable he is. I also... I think his skills would be very useful specifically to the books. I mean, any team could use him, but based on what we saw in the playoffs, could the books ideally do with another shooter coming out of this draft? Yes, they could do with another really good shooter and they may struggle to find one in another way. He could be that. Is there any harm in having other guys who can play make? Like we saw even someone like Pat Connaughton, who's not a great playmaker, comfortable to take the ball up the floor, make a pass, get things moving. You know, all those things have become really key components of what the books do, who the books are. And I think they'll probably double down on those principles even more after this season. To me, he is one of the better options for finding someone who could come in, fit all of that. And you know what? Possibly make an impact as a rookie. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely can see that he's going to be a useful on the player. Uh, and it kind of looks like, that right away. I mean, he plays at Virginia. He's very experienced already. Uh, obviously won the title this year. Congrats to the Cavaliers. <laughs> I was wrong in his age, by the way. He's he's about to turn 22 rather than about to turn 23. So a little bit younger than I was giving him credit for. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, versatile. Can do many things. That's... <laughs> I mean, that's... If you could do... if I, I, That's pretty basic and kind of simplistic to look at it that way but if you could do what ty jerome does you're going to stick with the league and hopefully for a very long time look he will come up with challenges because he's not as athletic as you know ideally that player I think would also be negative wingspan yes negative wingspan right. i think it's six four wingspan six five height um which is not nothing no it's not but you know, if those things weren't issues, he's like a top 10 pick. It's a, you know, a guy who's skilled like that, if if you were like, oh, he's great. He's got a 6'9 wingspan as well, and he can explode and finish or, you know, just has that extra bit of burst, whether it's laterally when he's defending or to drive past the guy, that puts him into a different category. I mean, I not to just go down this weird road of comparing him to former Cavaliers, but there is a lot of Joe Harris here as well. Joe Harris has become a very good and useful NBA player, and I, I do see some of that with Ty Jerome. I like Ty Jerome, Jordan. What more can I say? I feel like you're not quite as sold. I, I mean, you like him, but maybe he's just 
He's not sexy, which is kind right. of right. I think that's that is the difference. I don't. I'm not interested in sexy picks, Jordan. Well, I mean, what is what is a sexy pick at thirty? <laughs> well, a, uh, well, we'll get some players later, later. Maybe who could be. But I like saying this guy is going to do this, and that's useful. I wouldn't. But that doesn't diminish what I think of him. I think he would be. If the Bucks end up taking him, I'd be perfectly content with it because I, I know he's going to. Especially with this coaching staff and seeing the role that we or can never have too many ball handlers and the fact that Jerome can hit shots on or off the ball, that makes it even more appealing. And like you said before, like we kind of saw the limits to like especially in the Toronto series, which you know, that's going up the level of competition is so high at that point. Um, but you kind of look at like you know, the Bucks could add a little another ball handler to it. And obviously questions about Brogdon and George Hill and their backcourt uh at this you know, at the moment, uh kind of raise those questions or raise the need for them to kind of fill the void at some point at least. Yeah, I also think it's probably particularly more we're talking about the books here. Oh, this is a books context. I think part of my increased um Increased liking of prospects like Ty Jerome. I think it's it's a, something that's developed over the last couple of years is I like players where I know what they are. I mean, it's directly tied to like Rashad Vaughn and Tom Maker. So, you know, it's having yeah. to having to not just like watch that and, you know, experience that as a fan, but to have to go through the, okay, draft night, they've picked this guy. Okay, a lot of potential here. You know, if this potential works out, this is what we could get. And then you watch what happens. Although I certainly wasn't talking like that when they drafted Rashad Vaughn, but <laughs> there is something happy nice to be like. Happy anniversary of what is. <laughs> there is something about you know. Okay, this guy can be an NBA player. I understand how that can happen. This is what he can do, and I, I actually think it's more than ever considering the books are good, and considering they don't have means to add players in a lot of ways. You know. If you could find someone useful who can just be, you know, good, it doesn't have to be, you don't need to find the next unicorn. Um, just someone good would be helpful. You've got Happen the it. unicorn. I I like Tydrome. Uh, let's keep it moving. Important question. Is his name Tyrone Jerome? Is he a birth tie? I, I, I don't know. He's a birth tie. Ty Jeremy Jerome. There you go. Uh, you said the question was important. That leaves me curious as to what the result actually means there. I think it goes down on my on my pick. It goes down <laughs> on your books for being a birth tie. Wow. Okay, I guess we'll move on from that one. Um, the player I want to go to next is a weird one, and I'm not saying he is personally a weird player. The opposite of Tajiro. I don't know if you know who I'm going to next. Maybe. I guess either player I'm going to next would fit that bill. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Kevin Porter Jr. next. Oh, damn it. It sort of also fits the bill in a way, though. Um, The other player I would say fits it more, and we'll get to that in a minute. Yes. Um, Kevin Porter Jr., 
Jordan and I have been talking in recent days about, okay, what prospects have we maybe not covered that the books might pick? This is always a great source of anxiety coming up to draft night. The, the fact that, you know, some years we may have 40 players profiled and we're like, what well, if the books pick someone we haven't profiled? That's going to be really annoying. Uh, this is me knocking on wood. Did that yeah. happen with us with DJ? No. Um, Reed Muller, former former contributor behind the book pass. He profiled DJ Wilson on draft day. Neither you or I were interested in profiling <laughs> DJ Wilson. <laughs> but Reed went, oh, I like DJ Wilson. Let's profile him. And that worked out quite nicely in the end. But it hasn't happened as a site that's just been a player we haven't covered at all. And in the last few days, my my draft in 10A, they've just started to kind of they've started to blink a little bit because <laughs> Kevin Porter Jr. is falling. Um, I think even like a few weeks ago, he was as high as the lottery. And I think I saw him at 13. I think Sam Vesney at the Athletic had him at 13. Maybe it was, Wait, lottery. Might have been the ringer. May, may, have been, may have been the ringer mock either. One of, one of the notable mocks had him inside the lottery, not just in that mix, pretty recently. And all of a sudden he is falling, falling, falling. He is almost everywhere now in the 20s. Some places he's down as low as 24, 25, 26. And with that in mind, I was like, okay, we need to give this guy some thought because he is increasingly getting very close to the books range where all it would take is a couple of teams to be like, no, not for us. And he will end up there. He is interesting in that regard because he, to me, is not a books player in a lot of ways. There's certainly an element of project here. But he has a level of talent that isn't true of most of the other guys in this range, where if he did fall, they might just have to be like, okay, I guess we should pick this guy because this could turn into something kind of some incredible bonus that just fell into our lap. Um, defining him positionally is difficult. I'll say that much. I I settled on putting him as a guard. He's a two. Got kind of wing size in a lot of ways. Got some nice kind of flashes of point guard skills. Really, really good creator with great handles. Um, someone who you could feel very happy with having take the ball up the floor and ask him to make some plays. The reason for him falling has largely been um, attitude related and suggesting his work ethic isn't up to scratch. Again, they make him a very non-books kind of consideration. But I wonder if he was to fall, how much, how much you can weigh that stuff versus going, this guy is kind of a special, not that's being way too hyperbolic about it a special talent compared to what we're looking at otherwise he is just kind of of a different category of some of these guys now to be clear i would still say that someone probably in the late teens or very early 20s will just be like yeah we're just look if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but we're going to take a chance on this guy because what are our alternatives but he is a figure that's kind of come into the periphery of my vision jordan and I don't know. We have to give him some thought, I guess, as a player who could be available when it's the book's turn to pick. 
Yep. A lot of it, I know, suspended midway through the year at USC. Which was never explained, was very mysterious, was like a few weeks, and that was just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's been suspended, and they didn't disclose the reasons, which itself asked some questions. Now, I'm sure, um, as much as it hasn't really been reported, and it's being painted as a mystery, I have no doubt that it's not a mystery to NBA front offices. Oh, no, no. I, I wouldn't think so either. And you have to remember, too, this is, yeah, who knows what it is. I know USC with D'Anthony Melton the year before, he had a very similar thing, but that was also tied to the college basketball scandal that is, you know, weird and <laughs> kind of just like, okay, it just happened and no one really cares. Anyway, um, but yeah, obviously that's a pretty big sticking point. Uh, to your point about him, being mocked in the lottery, the ringer, for example, that's one of many great sources that we've used throughout this draft or pre-draft process. They had him their prior mock draft. They had him 13th. This most recent one, I believe he is 26th. Mm -hmm. So there's certainly something going on with how he's either interviewing background checks, obviously his, you know, talking to former coaches, his year at USC, all this stuff. So, yeah, that part is definitely a big concern. But everything else, I mean, he's certainly super athletic. I know, obviously, we haven't profiled him on the site yet, but that will be happening. Um, I mean, just in terms of what he could be, is very tantalizing. He's scoring his shot. That was another thing, too. His uh, shot is very um, – it's something. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, that – I think there was – I saw some reporter – I think he was working for the Hornets, and they took a sh picture of him shooting in his hand. It's like it, – it's kind, It's actually it – was fitting that he was working at the Charlotte Hornets because it looked very uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist oh, in terms of just like what is up with this. Show. After after Fultz, something like that might actually be enough to turn a lot of teams off a guy. Just the whole... Now, I know Fultz is a completely different story unto itself. But I don't know if anything good can come out of drafting a guy who's going to end up having that kind of scrutiny on his shot and his mechanics, where it's like reporters are coming into practice and they're tweeting videos of you know, how he's shooting and JJ Reddick yeah. is having to shout at reporters. Zippertering everything. Like, all of that weird stuff. Like, I, I think that's true. Now, the other, the other parts of this, right? He's only 19 years old. So there are major questions over his maturity, but you're kind of like, <laughs> he's literally just turned 19 years old. If there are players in this draft that, you know, questions of maturity kind of have some justification, it's got to be the younger players. And that's this guy and the guy we're going to talk about next. Um, in spite of just being 19, though, he's 6'6", and he's 213 pounds with as I mentioned already, kind of elite-level ball skills. Uh, let's say shooting is a problem. Okay, not great. Certainly not ideal for a team like the Bucks. But if you've got that kind of size, and you can say, okay, let's, let's back ourselves to get through to this guy, to get him to work harder, to buy in defensively and try there. He's got the physical tools to make it work on that end. And offensively, he could be a really, really high-level creator, playmaker initiator for our team like 
you the shooting isn't something you just ignore, but you get past it because you're like, okay, I understand how this guy can make an impact offensively. I understand how this guy can make an impact defensively. I, I'm just looking here at um, John Gavoni's latest book for ESPN. I mean, he's 27 on that one. He's even lower than 26. I mean, he makes uh, Gavoni makes explicit reference to um, question marks about his approach to the game hurting his draft stock. Um, Sam Vesney at the Athletic, he also um, kind of just directly acknowledges what's happened in recent weeks for him. But he is falling into a territory that, to me, it does just seem borderline ridiculous considering the players ahead of him and what his skills are, where I'm not the guy who's into those kind of risks, but part of me would just be like, how bad can it be? (laughs) That could be something you come to regret very quickly. But I'd be like, surely it just can't be this bad that you're like, no, no, we'll take, we'll take, you know, Joe Average over here rather than backing <laughs> ourselves to work out this situation. So I don't, it's, it's a very weird one. I, I think across probably all the players at all positions we're going to talk about, his case is one of the increasingly weird ones in terms of how his stock is falling and we're what may ultimately happen. Not the weirdest one? Is the weirdest one next, or is the weirdest one many episodes later? Uh, actually, next could be true, but there's one in mind that I have that is uh, I don't, a sleeping giant, quite literally. Okay, I know who exactly that is. I'm sure everyone else does. <laughs> um, I'm intrigued by Porter. That's what I will say. If he, yes. if, if he was to fall, I think it would be very difficult not to give that very serious consideration, or just, you know, to pick him, because... If you worked it all out, he could be the kind of player who at this position in the draft, you go, oh, look, this guy ends up like good enough to be a starter or, you know, borderline star or something. He's I don't a think lottery there's, level talent. There's That's- not a lot of guys left with that kind of talent at this point in the draft. And if yeah. he ends up there, you've got to kind of go, you know, the best case scenario here is going to be so much better than what the best case is for any of these other guys. The ceiling is so much higher. So... He's certainly one who just generally, I think it's going to be interesting to see where he goes in draft line. Maybe all of this just turns out to be a smokescreen. Maybe someone at 15 is like, no, we really love him, but let's tell everyone we're worried about, you know, his stock and try to put everyone off the scent. That sort of stuff happens, but we shall see. Um, last among the guards, the player who I made reference to at the beginning, um, I honestly, I could have, I could have put him in the wings episode. He could have gone in the forwards episode. If you had said to me, let's call him a center, I'd be like, hey, I I have no clearer idea on anything else, so why not? And we were talking about Talon Horton Tucker. Um, Talon Horton Tucker is out of Iowa State. If not the youngest non-international prospect in this year's class, he is very, very close to that. Um, I believe he is still 18 years old, doesn't turn 19 for another couple of months. He is... How many years are we doing the draft now? This will be our fifth? This is our fifth, okay. In five years of like really diving in, having to know about all these players, looking at all of just these really inane things like measurements and all of that stuff, he is the weirdest prospect I've come across. Mm-hmm. I just I, I have no idea what to do with him. If you don't know about Taylor Horton Tucker, prepare yourself for these just incredible details. Um, he's six four. 
Yeah, okay. I know he's in the guard episode now. Six four. That seems normal. He weighs two hundred and thirty-five pounds. <laughs> two hundred and thirty-five pounds. And he has a seven-one wingspan. Stretch Armstrong. Yeah. Um. He is just a colossal outlier. He is, as John Gavoni of ESPN, once a Draft Express, tweeted after the Combine, he is the biggest outlier they have in the entire Draft Express database when it comes to comparing height without shoes to wingspan. Um, the player who's next closest to him and just the sheer absurdity of the difference between those two things, do you want to take a guess? So another player in this year's class. Uh, is he a big? He is a big. Man? Is he is a bull? No, but you're on the right track. I'm trying to think of who, who would it be? Who is it? Taco Fall. Oh. Oh, whoa. <laughs> so to be clear. It'd be Taco, Taco Autumn. Sorry. Ta- that is what I would say. Taco Falls, height without shoes. Difference between his height without shoes and his wingspan, nine inches. Which is a lot. It's significant. It's kind of, you know, it's an anomaly, these sort of things. Taylor Horton Tucker's height without shoes to wingspan, 10.75 inches is the difference. Um, so physically, he is just like the weirdest prospect imaginable. You say, okay, he's physically unique. What about his game? Oh, trust me, his game is just as weird. I I just I don't even know where to start here. Uh, he was someone. Sam, Sam Fasini of the Athletic has classified him as player. That's good. Was... Jason Kidd might you know be interested in that, and <laughs> depending on what his influence is. And I mean, not that the Lakers have Lakers got assistant. picks this year. The Lakers uh, don't, I don't have know it. about this one after. They don't not after the trade. Um, they don't have any other picks. Lakers and picks. It's not something that they'll ever have to worry about again. <laughs> Um, some laugh Jordan thank you Horton Tucker can kind of I I honestly I don't know where to go with this he can do these really impressive things with the ball where you're like he's got really good feel and vision look at that playmaking and then you're like okay let's stop and think about this for a second who does he guard yeah like, where do you possibly fit him on the floor? Now, the one thing I've I've written about him a couple of times, I think, at this point, and the one thing that I've kind of always made note of is he feels like a player that, to me, he makes no sense. And I'll be honest, I'm not particularly crazy with the idea of drafting. But if the right team with the right environment and the right kind of imaginative coaching staff got a hold of him, he does have the potential to be someone where you're like, this guy is one of a kind and in all of the good ways. You know, he can do all of these kind of weird, quirky things offensively that are helpful for the team. Defensively, like where now we're saying, who does he guard? I mean, the dream scenario is, oh, well, he guards everyone. Everyone. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> he might only be 6'4", but he's built like a brick house. So he's going to guard like DeMarcus Cousins in the post. I Like part of me wouldn't be surprised if something like that came to pass. 
But right now you look at him and it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm not sure I want to be the team to have to put all of these pieces together. Like, there is further strangeness around this. Um, he had a recent misdemeanor theft incident. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was at Walmart where he stole like $13 worth of candy or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, not great. Not great. Um, obviously, in the grander scheme of things, you know, not the most... Not the most life-destroying mistake any young person has ever made, but in terms of, you know, with a draft prospect where things like that are very much after, brought into happened, focus. After the for, season two, it did right? happen. It's only very recent. Yeah. Um, when things like that are analyzed for, you know, okay, what what can we learn about this player's judgment? That is the kind of thing where you're like, okay, that is not great. Um there's other kind of, I actually think, um, I think it might have been Sam Vesney. Maybe it was, again, I keep mixing up the Athletic and the Ringer for some reason. But Iowa State's defense and their scheme is a little bit difficult to parse out in terms of what you would look like in an NBA scheme. And there are question marks over, okay, he can do these things defensively. Is he a lazy defender, or was that just a result of what he was being asked to do? What way could you spin that in the NBA? Um, and with all of this, I mean, again, he's only 6'4". So if he is a guard, if he's like a combo guard, which it kind of feels like he has to be, he can play and make, he's six feet four. Like, what's he going to do um, until you see his sheer size? And you're like, oh, he's got a steamroll opposing guards and forwards without even a second thought. But he can't shoot. He only shoots just over 30% from deep in college. Like, I just don't know what. His arms may be just like so long that he physically struggled to shoot, too. Oh, I thought we were going to suggest he could be like Michael Um, Jordan in Space Jam. Space Jam? Yeah. Yeah, That might be good. I don't know if anyone suggested that to him yet, but it could be an alternative. Um, He is weird enough that I could see. If he was the pick, give me 24 hours and I can buy into it. I could be like, okay, they could figure this out. And he's just, he's so unique. You know, the books have just found the next Draymond Green. But there's so much else there where it's like, I'd really be fooling myself to think that. Yeah. I, don't, I really got, don't know what they have. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, he, it's literally like the prototypical, like, you look at everything in terms of his measurements and all this stuff, and you're just like, yeah, that guy's built to be like a draft prospect. And then you get weighed into what he is, and it's it's kind of just this weird mashup of everything. And you don't know what to like, like you said, you don't you don't know how to parse what is useful here, what isn't, and what is he, what isn't he he's he could be everything at once he could be nothing at once it's just that's kind of what i think he could be both at the same time yeah (laughs) i mean maybe we just talk about him in every episode that we're going to do just to see if it becomes any clearer we consider him as a wing we consider him as a forward let's see do we finally just settle on somewhere it's like yeah yeah here he is taylor horton tucker um also talon have you come across the name talon before yeah. Well, yeah. I think I have, yeah. 
I've literally Talon? never come across. Is it Talon? Is it Talon? I don't know. That would make no sense. Talon Horton Tucker. You know, I I generally when I'm looking at prospects, I make sure to get video where I'm like, <laughs> I I want to hear this person say their name. I didn't do that with him because I was like, oh, that's straightforward. I mean, it's probably Talon. It has TFC. to be Talon. TFC is dynamite. <laughs> that's all of our guards, Jordan. What? What a crop! <laughs> what a crop! Overall impressions. Do you think the books are going to draft a guard on draft line? I mean, there are a couple that we didn't mention. Shamari uh, Pons. Is that how you say his name? What a, I'm speaking again. Of these are these are <laughs> pronunciations that I don't know for sure because that's, I said, what, yeah. that's what our draft analysis should be. It should about just be names. about names. <laughs> if we're doing this twelve months from now, we just talk names. Is that yep. we, who is the best name? We pivot. See, Lou Dort would be the pick on that. Oh. And then, yeah. Um, Jalen Leck as well. He's one of the other few guards who's like widely mocked to be drafted. And I believe I believe he has worked out with the books a couple of times. Yeah. Now, there are quite a few players who it seems have done that. Although there could be guys who've worked out with the books five times that we just never hear about because it's still the books do things now. Um, yeah. For me, if Ty Jerome isn't there, I'm not interested in the guards. Oh, uh, well, I mean, if if Kevin Porter Jr. is Porter. there, it's a different kind of interest. It's kind think, of a, still, what's going on. I still think he won't be. I still think he doesn't fall that far. You know, it's one of those things. If he doesn't, someone else could fall that we just haven't thought of at all. Like, these weird things do happen on draft night. But for me, of the crap we just talked about, Ty Jerome is the only guy that I can kind of check off all the boxes that I'm like, yeah, this is what I want. This is what he can do. It all makes sense. That's all I want is it all to make sense. And otherwise, I mean, talk about not making sense. <laughs> they, are, they really are quite the crop. So guard or no guard for you, Jordan? No guard. Do you think they would have liked the guard if the options were better? Um, probably. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one unknown in this is, you know, what Dante is. I think that's the thing with that. Maybe... They feel like, oh, Dante's going to be really healthy next year, and we love everything we've seen. I mean, even as a skeptic, I was largely encouraged by a lot of what he did show. Um, I think things we were concerned about did show up, but I probably had underestimated just just how positive his force, force of nature kind of ways could be in an NBA capacity. I thought, oh, yeah, that's great. That's cute talking about, you know the impact of his hustle in college, and then you watch him against, like, not just full-grown man, just, like, the tallest man on the planet, and he's just, like, exploding up through them to get rebounds. You're like, okay, okay, maybe I've undersold that. But, yeah, there's unknown there, too. But, yeah, I they may have liked the guard, and I don't think this is the crap that's going to make them 
take the plunge. But there are other positions, Jordan, believe yeah. it or not. And we will talk about them. That does it for this episode. Our talk of guards, our talk of the book's general draft situation. We will be back tomorrow for more NBA draft talk, where our focus will be on wings. Until then, make sure you check out all of mine, Jordan, the rest teams writing at BehindTheBookPass.com, particularly at the moment because we have all of the draft stuff you can need. And day by day, there will basically be what are accompanying articles from me for these podcasts. They will also link to our entire back catalog of full uh, detailed profiles on all of these players that could factor in for the books. And we'll have other pieces. Uh, Dan Larson has couple of great pieces related to the books offseason their salary cap situation should they trade the pick scott run portal is going to have a great full draft primer and his own prediction coming up in a couple of days we'll have a round table if you want draft stuff between here a win and six podcast and jordan and mine's writing home at behindthebookpass.com we've got you covered so make sure to stay on top of all of that if you want to make sure you get all of our draft episodes and our episodes long beyond that Subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, Favourite Tune Radio. And that's it, is it? Am I forgetting one? It's been three weeks. I don't know. Maybe there are other platforms around that I've forgotten. Search and find out, I guess. Until the next time. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs>